Good morning. It is a nice, well, sort of sunny Monday morning. <laughs> um, if you're listening to it, it's live. It's Monday the uh, 18th. I nearly said the 2nd of January. That's way off. No, no, no. <laughs> we are well into January. Uh, you are with Faith FM. This is the Brecky Show. Um, and you are this morning with Minnie and... Renee! Yeah. We haven't been together for... Oh, it was, what, before Christmas? Yeah. Of the year. So it's good to be back with you, Minnie. Yeah, it's always <laughs> a good time. Um, how are you feeling? What are you thankful for? Okay, um, I'm thankful for lemons. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, nice. I don't know about you, but when I drink water, I don't know, I like to flavour it. I don't know if that's mm, not no, cool that's with me, but yeah. I do it anyway. Um, so I've been flavouring my water with lemon oh, and it's yeah. been amazing. So just right next to me, my bottle is here and I'm... I'm very excited to have another sip. <laughs> that is delightful. Like lemon water, actually, the I used to be a dental assistant and receptionist years oh. ago. So that part in me says make sure you wash your teeth out with water, water. afterwards. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's just like drilled in. But I, when I was doing that for work, Absolutely. my boss, because I love it, I'll eat lemon like an orange. Oh, really? Like I love it. Oh, lemon, see, like, I haven't gone that far yet. <laughs> if I can put lemon on anything, I'll do it. Like veggies, salad, yeah. water, just by itself. I'll just go good. hard. But my boss would always be like, you know better. And I was like, yeah, that's so delicious. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it is nice to flavor your water up a bit, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. the water. Like, it's not like it's exactly flavored with sugar. Sugar, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, we will be a bit healthy. You know what? Oh, what am I for? The- I'm thankful this weekend. My dad got to come down. He's from Queensland. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, he came down with kind of our adopted sister. She's been a Fijian uni student in the past few years, and she's just going back this week. And I, I- I'd only met her like twice because every time I've been up, she hasn't been there, or I just, you know, haven't lived near my parents for years. Yeah. And so it was really cool just kind of hanging out with her and seeing dad. And yeah. um, bless his heart, he came and fixed my lawns because they were in need of mowing. And, oh, uh, yay. <laughs> yay, dad. <laughs> but no, it was a great weekend. And um, yeah, oh, I'm really thankful to have spent that time. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But Renee. Tell yes. us some stories. Tell All us right. some positively different news. I'll let you know what's happening in the world of positive. Of positive. <laughs> Positively. Positive. I can't. Okay. So um, Amazon uh, launches a $2 billion housing fund to make 20,000 affordable houses available for working families in certain cities in America. So um, Amazon this month, they, invo- they unveiled, it's called the Housing Equity Fund. So um, these cities include Arlington, Virginia, Nashville, Tennessee, and Washington. Oh, whoopsie daisy. Yeah, I think I butchered that, but in three cities in America. <laughs> um, this fund will help preserve existing housing and help create housing developments below, uh, through below market loans and grants are housed to housing partners, uh, public agencies and minority-led organizations. So their goal is to create housing that's affordable for people so that these people in low economically, I don't know the word that I'm trying to say, but in areas where um, it's harder to buy houses, like maybe due to, to uh, like work or anything, um, these people are able to afford that mm. for themselves and really just be able to get onto the property market and just I guess provide for your family because one of the biggest stresses um, many people have is, you know, paying off the mortgage or paying off the rent. And so making houses that are affordable, um, but also for families that houses that are, you know, well, like good and there's enough room for everyone. And, um, you know, there's hot water. There's just, Mm. it's just really important. Um, And so 
this is really exciting for Amazon. They're, you know, investing in housing and it's, it's, they decided on those three cities because that's where most of their employees work. So they're really looking out for their, their workers out there. So mm, great. Work Which is actually it. a good way to go, really. Like, yes. If you want to have business run well, it helps to look after your workers. Look after your workers. Isn't it? Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Also, in Tasmania, there is a program called the Build Up Tassie Program, and it offers disadvantaged teens apprenticeship skills from the future. Now, I laughed when I first read this story. It made me, it made me laugh mm-hmm. um, uh, because it was quite sweet. So, um, Sienna Fitzpatrick, she decided to swap her school shoes for some steel-capped boots because nice. she, was, she was tired of sitting at her desk. And she said, she said, I went to school one day and said, I want to be a tradie lady. Yes, <laughs> I respect that. Go, Sienna. Okay, yeah. All right. Um, she said becoming a apprentice carpenter meant it, it meant there was a quite steep learning curve for, for her. She's 16 years old. She's from Clarendon Vale in Hobart's East. And she said, carpentry? Well, I thought it was laying carpets and doing that kind of stuff. Oh, bless. <laughs> <laughs> bless her. Oh, dear. Oh, no, go no, you, girl. Go no. you. <laughs> All right, shady lady. It's okay. And she said, <laughs> but once I actually done some work experience, I figured out that it's actually building the frames of a house, the soul of a house, as I call it. I like how she nice. says the soul of the house. Um, she was one of six new apprentices to start their on-the-job training um, this week as part of an initiative run through Catholic organizations in Tasmania. So the group builds social housing and houses for people on low incomes with St. Uh, Joseph's affordable homes. Also, with yeah. Yeah, clearly I have a theme today, affordable housing. <laughs> so we, we have that also in Australia. Um, uh, Sienna said that it gave her a good feeling to be able to help people move towards home ownership. Mm. She says that contributing uh, just makes her feel really happy and excited to put a roof over someone's head will make them feel really good. Mm. Um, and also and also me making me feel awesome that they have somewhere to sleep, access food, power. It's really great. Um, so this, this program, it aims to select a young disadvantaged Tasmanians. And so, um, the, the CEO of St. Joseph's Affordable Homes, Ben Wilson said, it's fortunate that the church's entities could work together there. So mm. these two institutions are, uh, are working together to help the young people, help these, these, uh, these people out there. Um, it's working towards uh, the youth giving an attitude of willing to participate in the community. Um, and I just think it's great news. I, I really like uh, Sienna. C- that's her name. That's Sienna amazing. Fitz- Fitzpatrick. Um, uh, there you go. F- uh, carpentry isn't working with carpets. It <laughs> is in fact <laughs> building houses. It's building houses and building the the soul of the house, mm. as she says. And I love that at the end of that article you just mentioned how. You know, it, I think any time you have ownership of something in your community, you feel belonging in it. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing. Yes. Uh, belonging, taking up the space that you're given, really taking, just being part of a community. It's, yeah. it's a whole moment. And I'll tell you a secret. I spent a pretty significant portion of last week wanting to do a carpentry apprenticeship. Really? Yeah. So I really wanted to do that when I was in high school. Oh. Both of my brothers had left school to become um, tradies. Yes. So one of the brothers was carpentry apprenticeship. One was a cabinet maker. Yeah. I desperately wanted to do it. Mum was like, no, you can't. Um, but also 
I wanted to do that sort of field. Yeah. And my brothers were the pinnacle of awesome. Yeah. But I didn't want people to think I was just copying them. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do it. Now, like 10 years later, I'm like, why didn't I do it? <laughs> no, nah, but I love that. This is a great story. I think that's really cool that they're yeah. doing Sienna, that. Sienna is, uh, I think you'd be great friends with Sienna. <laughs> Look, I reckon we could be. <laughs> I think I just, I, I really, yeah, I really love that um, these institutions are just working with the youth and working yeah. like some people, like your gifts are elsewhere and just, mm. you know, sometimes sitting at a desk is, is not for everyone, but absolutely, she, she, she did great. So. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You know what? I'm just, this is a bit of a side note, but I am fascinated by war stories. I think the psychology of war is just super interesting of what happens, right? It really is. Like what you see come out in humanity, you see the very worst and the very best. Yeah. Um, I was saying before the show, speaking to you, Renee, and um, Shell, our producer, Last night I just watched Hacksaw Ridge with some friends and if any of you guys have seen it or you've heard of it or read the book, it's about Desmond Doss who was a conscientious objector. Um, Amazing story, you know, and he just ended up, you know, saving a whole bunch of guys' lives and it was just so interesting to watch it and kind of contemplate the role of faith in something like war, you know, because you have a whole bunch of people who were in it, a whole bunch of people who wouldn't take part, a whole bunch of people, you know, who like in this book were conscripted. You didn't really have much of a choice, but just kind of looking at the role of personal conviction. Anyway, that's off topic, but I just find it absolutely (laughs) fascinating. Um, Yeah, and it's a pretty pretty hard thing. Like we haven't had to face anything like that in our generation um, to go, well, where would we stand? Like what do we believe about what it means to be involved in all that? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, full respect. Okay, better tell you some stories. Uh, so if you guys have been watching any news at all or if you tuned in with us a couple of weeks ago, uh, because I know for some people really the only place they listen to news is on the radio or different things on social media, but there was a bit of a protest, riot, attack kind of situation in the US a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was predominantly by President Trump supporters that doesn't mean that everyone who has supported him is like crazy it just means that you know it was just a very heightened emotion time I guess and some pretty hectic things happened so yes Facebook said a couple of days ago that it is going to ban advertisement for weapons accessories and protective equipment in the United States uh, with immediate effect until mm, I think technically it's until Joe Biden's inauguration Mm -hmm. um, on January 20 I guess they'll see what goes on from there. Facebook has said that it already prohibits ads for weapons, ammunition, and weapon enhancements, like silences, uh, but now it will also prohibit ads for accessories. Um, Facebook on Friday blocked the creation of any new Facebook events in close proximity to, uh, you know, the White House and the US Capitol in Washington. Uh, And this is really interesting, right? The power that social media can have Mm. in, I don't know, just kind of setting things up and allowing things to be, you know, how much do you... It sounds like some government, like, law that, like, when you just said Facebook is banning this, and yeah. I'm like, oh, they sound like they're a government. Anyway, they're but not, but... It's true, right? Just- so BuzzFeed, I don't really know who BuzzFeed is, but BuzzFeed reported that Facebook has been running ads for military equipment next to content promoting election misinformation oh. and news about the violence. And this is an interesting aspect of social media, right, is it's full of news, but it kind of depends on what you're already into it's very opinionated it is it is it's very oh what's it called like it's centered around your 
kind of beliefs. Yes. So the yeah. more you research certain stuff, the more it kind the of all comes together. Pop- it's just it's just something to be aware of, yes. right? Yeah. You know, you may be correct that there are some things which aren't so great in the world, but um, the algorithms work the al- to keep that's feeding you the same For example, like on social medias like TikTok and YouTube, they have recommended videos for you. Yeah. So it's like based on your history and your research. Yeah. So everything that you see is based off – most of the things that you see um, is based off what you've already been – yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, consuming. Yeah, and so I actually I don't think it's a bad thing that they're yeah. choosing to do this. Uh, you know, I think the more you're exposed to something, the more the idea can get in here. Like just on any product. I mean, if someone shows me a photo of a banana off and off, I'll be like, I want a banana. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so you know, well done them. Um, I guess we'll see what happens and how it goes. And yeah, it's been a really hectic time for a lot of people mm. I know over there. Uh, in another story, so the sober lifestyle. So we've spoken a lot um, at various times about alcohol and the impact and COVID and um, just various things. But the life, sober lifestyle has been growing in popularity with more and more Australians giving up alcohol um, for many different reasons. Um, but a few different people have said that, you know, um, I guess it was just like being in a space and being like, I don't, I don't want this to be who I am. You know, I don't want to need alcohol to be myself uh so there's a couple ezra and tyreen and they have decided to remain booze free um they're now 30 years old and they've been doing this for quite a long time weight gain and hangovers were among the common reasons for why people have stopped uh so this is kind of interesting it's it's also a physical health um thing which is good it's good to be aware you know if you Mm. if you know and you kind of don't make any choices around that. Yeah. You know, nothing changes, right? Nothing changes until something changes. Uh, there's also an element of the social pressure to drink that some people do not appreciate. And, you know, we talk about that, right? We talk about peer pressure. And I resonate with this. I'm like, don't tell me how to live my life. Yeah. <laughs> and I know quite a few friends who, if they are going to drink, it's because of um, social situation. But they have this element that they've spoken to me about saying, man, we – we hate that we feel like we have to. We hate that we feel like we have to have a drink in our hand. So this is, again, another reason that some people are giving it up because it's more socially acceptable to have a drink in your hand um, and so people are just trying to sub that out, you know, instead of having, you know, whatever, have some juice or have some something else. And, they've yeah, some people have just commented saying when you're not drinking, people think that you're not having fun and yet people will hardly notice you're drinking non-alcoholic drinks you know, if you're just holding something. And I actually think that's a really interesting point mm. to make, that people do have perceptions, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. Um, sometimes maybe it is just a really good thing to still be with the people yeah. and just be doing life without that. I think there are times you need to remove yourself from that situation because mm. it's not going to help. Um, but, yeah, it's it's – there was 1.5 million – I have just lost my place on my page – um, Australians in 2016, I think it was, who, um, yeah, weren't drinking, and that has risen to 1.9 bil- uh, million. Sorry. Oh, so there's more people choosing not to drink. Yes, yes. Oh, awesome. Uh, so awesome. you know that is increasing, yeah. and that's a really good thing. I think in Australia, particularly, we know there is a there is a problem with you know yeah. binge drinking or different things. You said something interesting that so you said that people feel like they can't they want to they can't be themselves without mm. a drink. I think that's really. 
that really that that goes really deep it's down to your identity doesn't yeah. it like the fact that you feel like you can't be yourself if you don't have a drink or yeah so i can understand why it can be hard to give up but also the benefits of like like letting it go yeah. seems to over you know override all that and so it's really interesting um Oh, what have been a couple of years ago now? There was this. Oh, she was this young girl. You know, she's probably like sixteen, seventeen. And I remember we were talking just randomly one time, and she just kind of looked at me and um, she's like, "Minnie, I really admire you because you you don't need any of these things to have fun or or to talk honestly and openly mm. or to you know." There's a few different to- like reasons that she gave. Um, she's like, "I feel like I can't do any of that without this." And it was, yeah, it was just a really interesting conversation talking to her about it because, yeah, I'm someone, if I'm going to ask you a personal question, you answer, I would rather you tell me because you want to tell me, not because your inhibitions are down and, you know, you're going to talk because you're drunk. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like, you'd rather have a real connection, someone that feels like they can trust you. Yeah. I I get that. You know, and, 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 yeah, that was just part of it because she was saying that, um, that's why she liked it because, mm. you know, it allowed her to speak freely. Mm. But for me, I was like, but are you speaking freely? Oh, um, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and no no criticism because I know I know she's really struggled with it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, a couple of years on. She's nearly 18 and she's still kind of going, many, I don't know what to do with this. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, so it's a hard, hard time. So well done for you guys if you know what that struggle is like. We all have something that we probably should give up in our lives. Exactly. Um, yeah. Just... For some people, it's more obvious than others. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Okay, it is our time for our interview of the day. And we have Etienne McClintock. He is our resident voice of the martyrs. What would I call it? Informant? That's what sound right. <laughs> but welcome, Etienne. Thank you, thank you. That's a little bit of a promotion to be an informant. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't think that's the word, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's very good. Look, we have many field operatives that actually work for us, so we work hey. in the safety of Australia, but occasionally we do travel, so we uh, do have to be careful about our identity to a certain extent. Yeah. But thank you so much, uh, Minnie and Renee, and dear listener, for the time that I can come and share with you about persecution. Uh, yeah, it's persecution, great to have one you. of those. Yeah, great. Well, look, persecution is one of those things that don't stop, unfortunately. It's relentless. Mm. And unfortunately, in the last 12 months, uh, there's been a significant increase. Uh, one of the companies or organizations that tracks persecution around the world has said that 2020 has had an increase of 60 million people being persecuted, mm. 60 million more. Whoa. And, uh, you know, we get our sources uh, from a number of areas, and these are all reputable companies, uh, very important for us. But uh, they are telling us that uh, 200 million Christians live in areas where there is severe persecution. Now, these are huge numbers. I mean, each of these represent a family, a person, a brother, a father, a mother, yeah. an uncle. And then there's another 400 million people living in areas where they are at risk. Now, uh, people sometimes ask you, well, what do you mean by persecution? Well, it could be simply something like uh, a milder form, like vilification, threats, intimidation. Matter of fact, we see a little bit more of that in Australia as well in the last few years. Then there's also deprivation of education and employment opportunities. That can even be something like, you know, just the home raids, confiscation of Bibles, uh, dispossession of house and land and property, a desecration of churches and graves, mm. uh, you know, torture, rape of women and children, destruction of villages and crops and businesses in some parts of the world. 
Uh, it could be assault, physical and psychological abuse, imprisonment, uh, often without charge. And these people just language in prison or in labor camps. Uh, it could also be falsified evidence presented in a law courts. So that happens quite a lot in many countries. Uh, torture for revenge to uh, extract information. Sometimes it's just torture by their own family to be murdered, genocide in order to annihilate entire Christian communities. So those are the types of things that we look at and we see how we can help people. So at the moment, if you go onto our website, which is vom.com.au, you'll actually see that our focus for the month of January is VOM Medical, where we look at the medical needs of people. Um, oh, there's some stories on from Pakistan there, just a recent uh, medical clinic we ran there in, in Pakistan. Christians in Pakistan really struggle. They face uh, real, real difficulties, discrimination, because of their Christian identity. Now, they only make up 1.8% of the population, so they're a, a very small minority. Um, in general, they're relegated to the lowest, dirtiest, and most menial jobs because they can't find work anywhere else, and the jobs that other people don't want to do quite often are given to the Christians, and to survive if they're in the city, they just simply have to do these jobs. Um, but unfortunately, these jobs are, are so bad that they are more susceptible to the debilitating health conditions. Uh, so a lot of them work as bonded laborers in brick kilns. It's almost like it's almost like slave labor. They can work in factories, uh, in mills, just on the land for manual labor. And the children frequently work alongside the parents to complete the daily work quotas. Otherwise, they're in trouble. And so the daily wages are just enough for the most basic needs, basically to buy food, but they don't really have any money for anything else. So medical care is really important, and that's why we're helping them. So uh, for the last two years, we've been actually working in Pakistan as well now, providing much-needed medical care. And uh, uh, only about three months ago, we had 800 women, 900 children who were examined by Christian medical and technical uh, practitioners. Uh, you know, Some of them received, received vaccinations. They were testing treatment of various conditions. 60% of the children and 45% of the women actually severely anemic. So, I mean, that affects just your energy levels. Mm. And, of course, these guys work so hard. And uh, there were several of them that actually needed blood transfusions. Whoa, um, that's serious. Yeah, yeah, that's how bad it is. But and these guys, you can just tell on their faces, life is difficult for them. But their faith, is, in spite of all this, remains strong and they remain faithful to the Lord, many of them. Uh, also, there were older men and women who were screened with eye problems. We had 47 eye surgeries and restoration operations. Now, of course, if you can't see, even the menial jobs become very difficult, almost impossible for you to do. And people don't want to put up with people who can't work properly. Yeah. So this has really uh, been a tough one for people in, in Pakistan. But Pakistan has uh, blasphemy laws. You know, uh, you could, for example, be sitting on a bus and someone can ask you, you know, your faith or people, I, I guess, have gone underground to a large extent in many places. But if, uh, if you say that you are not a Muslim and they ask you why, your answer in itself could be considered blasphemy just simply because you've rejected the teachings of their prophet Muhammad or the teachings of the Quran. Now, I'll tell you one good uh, news story. Uh, it was a tougher guy. His name was Sawan Masa. Now, he was a street sweeper in the city of Lahore, and he was sentenced to death in 2014. Uh, he's a father of three. Uh, he was accused by a Muslim friend, Muhammad Shahid, and the accusation was that he insulted the Prophet Muhammad during a conversation. And uh, Masa denied the charge and said the accusations were actually due to a property dispute. 
But what happens is straight after they had this argument or discussion about the property dispute, uh, the following day, the, the mosque recounted the accusations against Masa over their PA system. Now, what this does, you know, it mobilizes people and they turn into a mob and more than 3,000 Muslims then went and looted and burned 180 Christian homes in Lahore 70 and 75 shops. And there were two churches also that were damaged and burnt. Um, now, a lot of Christian families at that time, so this is 2014 now, were forced to flee. Masa was handed over to police and later charged under their law, which is Section 295C of the Pakistani Penal Code. Uh, but in October, the Lahore High Court decided that the prosecution had failed to establish. This is October last year now, right? So this is going on for uh, six, seven years. Established that the Masa had actually committed blasphemy and acquitted him by reversing his death sentence. So he was under death sentence. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, in a country like Australia, if you are acquitted of any charges, you can go back and, you know, hopefully take up a normal existence and a normal life with your family. However, uh, the people there do not agree with uh, these charges if they're overturned. So they've had to go into hiding. Not only Massa, but his entire family have received threats and now are in hiding. And that's happened previously. Uh, there was a, a quite a famous uh, case, Asia Bibi, who had been on death row for 10 years, who was acquitted as well early last year. And uh, her family, they had to actually be uh, repatriated into another country now living in uh, Canada. But there's also another recent story. Unfortunately, this one is not such a, a, a good news one. Uh, although there's <laughs> some bad news in that because this guy has to go into hiding after he's been acquitted. But um, it seems as if the smaller courts in Pakistan are too afraid to let Christians go free in blasphemy cases due to the threat of extremists. Uh, now, according to a guy, his name is uh, Sajid Paul. He's from the Freedom Friends Organization. He says that the judges in the low courts do not have as much security as those in the high courts and the Supreme, Supreme Court. So they find it tough to make bold decisions because if they do, contrary to the views of the people, their lives are at risk. And there's even stories at times that these people have been killed as well for daring to make a decision uh, to acquit someone who they believe was innocent. So this Christian man... Asif Pervais was sentenced to death on the 8th of September last year after he allegedly sent blasphemous texts to a work colleague. This is back in 2013 now. So he's been uh, on death row basically for almost seven years. Now, Pervais says his sin was stolen. The messages were forged after he refused to convert to Islam. Uh, Asif has uh, spent the last seven years in prison, as I said, and he will be executed by hanging after completing another three years. Now, uh, our friend Sajid Paul from the Human Friends Organization said the reason for cases like this is an intolerance about coexistence for Christians and Muslims. As I said before, the country only has 1.8% of the population that claim to be Christian. And he says that he's never actually seen any Christians commit blasphemy. Mm. Uh, they're always falsely accused. And uh, his analysis of the legal data shows over the last 30 years that there has been a Christian victim of these laws, these blasphemy laws in Pakistan every six weeks. So it's been really tough for Christians um, in Pakistan. And a lot of the uh, the work that we do in Pakistan obviously works with uh, with frontline ministry, but uh, this month's focus is uh, medical support for, for Christians in Pakistan that are suffering. Yeah, that, well, that sounds like a huge um, need just from what you've shared. Like if that's kind of the circumstance that they're going through um it's amazing that you guys can kind of offer that assistance 
Um, so you you have people in the ground. Is that how it works? Like in Pakistan, you guys? That's kind of, right. Yeah. Yes, we have uh, some people we work with here locally who go to Pakistan regularly, and then we also have people in Pakistan that we work with. Uh, a lot of our work is actually underground, so we uh, it's been very difficult to get money in there, but we still have ways and means of getting money in there to help people. Uh, this is not, of course, the only need. The first thing that people ask for that are persecuted, they ask for prayer. Yeah, uh, They always want the church and the free will to pray for those in, in, in those persecuted countries. The second thing they ask for is Bibles. Hmm. So Bibles are very important. And, of course, we have frontline people who distribute Bibles, uh, quite often at the risk of their own lives or their family. Um, so we have also frontline worker support, and then we also support uh, the families of those who are imprisoned or have been pers- well, martyred, basically. And quite often we have to put these people in safe houses, and later we transfer them to a safe area where they can take up a life again, and we try and get them to some sort of industry uh, that they can be independent and self-reliant and, and, and work for themselves as well. So there's a, a varied ways of support that we provide for Christians. But the most important one is just prayer and uh, entering into fellowship with those who are suffering persecution. I mean, we're very, not, we're very clear if we look at the Bible prophecy that persecution is coming to a place near you and nobody in this world will escape. Now, we've, we've luckily lived under liberal democracies in the West for uh, 200 plus years. Mm. But, but basically, there's always been persecution around and it's more severe now than ever, especially under COVID-19. What um yeah you mentioned that earlier. What do you think the main reason has been for that? Just because it's been such a stressful time for people in general, and it's just been a well, sorry you go. Yeah yeah no that's, look it's it's been opportunistic. Quite yeah. often when when uh, there's aid being distributed by government and other agencies, quite often the people distributing it are the people from mainstream society, mm. and in those countries where Christianity is in the minority and they have the ascendancy, whether it be India with Hinduism or it be Pakistan with, with um, uh, Islam, they will actually say, I will not give you this aid, I will not give you this food parcel or financial support, which the government is, is distributing, unless you denounce your faith in Christ and become a Muslim or become a Hindu or whatever it is. So uh, with that, many people have had to make the decision when they're looking into the eyes of their poor kids who are starving and uh, they need food, they've got to decide, am I going to remain faithful to God and trust and rely on him that he will provide and will trust his promises when it looks like we're about to you know, perish? Uh, or will I actually denounce my faith so I can get some food into the, uh, into the mouths of my poor children? So this has actually increased the persecution around the world. But there's also, I think there's a satanic spirit that's just taking hold of so many people around the world. Mm. Even in the West, we see a, just a great intolerance for the Christian uh, worldview and also for our moral worldview as well. Yeah. So things are changing very rapidly around the world. And uh, really, we can learn so much from persecuted Christians, their faithfulness, their devotional life, their, their time they spend in the Word of God, their prayer life. So important. Oh, absolutely. Every time I hear these sorts of stories, you know, I'm quite encouraged and also, you know, you're a bit cut to the heart and rebuked about how easy it really is for us to believe and yet we kind of do so in some way so flippantly, just be like, oh, yeah, you know, whereas these guys, as you said, imagine looking into your kid's eyes or just yourself going, mm. I might not eat, I might not get this medical help, I might not whatever, but Jesus is still worth it. That's that's huge. That's, that's um, massive. Etienne, we are nearly out of time. Um, so as we do every week, is there what's the best way if people want to find out more about Voice of the Martyrs, what's the ways that they can get involved or um, just hear more about this? 
Yeah, well, they're welcome to get in touch with us through our website, vom.com.au. They'll see one of the first things there we talk about, VOM Medical. But there's other ways to get involved as well. They can even get into writing letters to people who are imprisoned. Awesome. Yeah. We've, we've got water filter projects there. We've got the latest story on persecution. An imam uh, in Uganda was just killed. He was hardly a Christian for a week. He converted to Christianity. Now, an imam is just a leader in Islam. They even referred to Abraham as an imam. And, um, yeah, hardly a Christian for a week before he was attacked and killed. So there's, there's stories like that. Um, just pray for the families when you hear these stories. There are so many stories um, that we can find encouragement from. But also, it's a bit of an eye-opener for all of us. So we encourage you to go to our website, vom.com.au, get involved. If you want to donate, you're welcome to anything over $2 as tax deductible in Australia. And so you can get a, a tax benefit at the end of the financial year. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Etienne. Um, we're going to move on with the show. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. It's always 